All right, so we are um, continuing chapter 5 of uh, Church Discipline, Church Fellowship. And uh, uh, I had spent a good deal of time kind of bemoaning the fact that the world has defined this in a certain way and there's a temptation for us to simply accept their definition of of love um, I don't mind uh, quoting quoting Boyd Boyd has brought this up several times where when, when dealing with a brother or a sister you know c- caught in some kind of sin Boyd has has often said that those who are living in unrepentant sin don't get to define the terms that uh, that is a tendency, and sometimes we're guilty of it, of we want, we want the guidelines and the rules to shift to fit our circumstances. We want even words to be defined in different ways um, so that we need not be inconvenienced. Uh, the world and Satan have become masters of that. And they've attempted to, and, and unfortunately I think successfully, uh, redefined this word love, redefined the word truth. And so I want us uh, to start by... Let's, let's talk about how God defines it. So for this, uh, this first question, how would you define biblical love? What kind of passages can we go to? What kind of biblical examples can we, can we bring up? And I'll write them up on the board as you give it to me. First Corinthians 13 comes to my mind. Someone's going to do that. Yeah? What are some of the words used... To describe love there. Patient, kind, not jealous, doesn't brag, not arrogant, doesn't act becomingly, doesn't seek its own, rejoices in right in truth, not in unrighteousness. Right. There's there's a humility to love. There is a, a, a selflessness in in love. Okay, what other passages do we have? Yeah, okay. Romans 5, 7, and 8. For scarcely for a righteous man one would kneel, one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All of, all of God's love entails sacrifice of one sort or another. Yeah. And Christ made, God made the ultimate sacrifice in offering up his only son. Yeah. Okay, Karen? This isn't, this is my words, not necessarily, but I was trying to think, like, how would I define, based on these scriptures, what would be, and I, I think it's a genuine care for the ultimate good of another. Like, I'm, I want their ultimate good. Mm-hmm. Not their immediate good, but, you know, just genuinely caring about someone, their ultimate good. Yeah, a genuine care for the ultimate good of another. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think with our kids, we talk about um, doing what's in the best interest of the other person. Um, but you're right. It's it's this idea of, of identifying what's, what's going to truly be good for them, and maybe that's not, maybe what's, what they think they want in the immediate is different than what actually would be good for them in, in the long term. Um, Joy? Um, 
First John 4, 8 says, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So I, and I was reading in my uh, morning devotions one morning, and it said, the definition of love is God. And I thought, oh, that's the answer. <laughs> I tried to figure out how, how that was. So I then I thought of, you know, some words, kind of going along with what Karen said, but like uh, just, pure, holy, patient, kind, good, compassionate, all of those things. Mm-hmm. It is. It's one of those rare times where the answer to the question is God, right? <laughs> Super easy. It's either God or Jesus, or in this case, it is, right? What is love? How do you define it? God. Okay, well, now let's look at his character, and how would you define him? How does he define himself? Yeah, he's, he's patient, he's kind, he's compassionate, he's long-suffering, mm-hmm. right? But he's also just and holy and righteous right. and pure and balancing those two things, yeah. I'm tying together what Karen and Gary were both saying about um, Jesus being God's ultimate expression of love in John three sixteen and 17. Mm-hmm. He says... You know, that he sacrificed his son, but not just for some big dramatic statement. It had a purpose. And in verse 17, it's so that the world could be saved. So mm-hmm. he was, his ultimate expression of love was ultimately looking out for the best for all of us. <coughs> right. Seeking the best for all of us. Right. If he had only been just, the outcome would have been different. Mm hmm. But love encompasses so much more than only justice. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, John 3.16 is a verse that we all know that, that you referenced. First John 3.16, um, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And so the idea of looking at what true love is and then emulating that. Um, which is, is easier said than done sometimes, right? Micah? Part of love is doing doing exactly what is in their best interest, whether we want to or not. Ah. Um, Mark 10 in the story of the rich young ruler. Um, it, uh, I lost my spot here. Uh, for, um, verses uh, 20 to, tw- uh, to 21. He answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. <coughs> then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell it, whatever you have, and give to him. And so he loved him. So he said the thing that ended up turning him away. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the thing he needed to hear. Exactly. Right? Um, and that does. That, that example, it's a great one, flies in the face of what we're told now. What? You know, to love you is to not condemn you in any way or make you feel uncomfortable or, you know, heaven forbid tell you that you're doing something wrong because there is no right and wrong, right? Because this is relative. Um, but Jesus, because of his love for that person's, you know, Wanted, wanted what was best for him. Told him what he needed to hear. And Matthew five, there at the end of that chapter, like forty-four and following, you know that he says that you'll love your enemies, mm. bless those or to pray for those who Which, persecute you. Right. Um, I, I, it's how I understood there, you know that 
um, not just those that not just returning kind for kind um, but then in the same sense just what we're talking about so the opposite of that is you know well I wouldn't want to say that because I love this person but like our enemies we would be so bold to just yeah we're gonna tell them all their problems and so you would do that for your own enemy but you wouldn't do that for your friend like because that doesn't even make sense yeah you know God doesn't treat us that way of like well, I'll be good to my enemies, but once you're part of the family, like, sorry, you know. Yeah, I don't want to endanger that. Yeah. You know. Um, I thought of also with what you were saying, just the name of God, how he describes himself. Um, there from Exodus uh, 34, mm. he describes a lot of those same type of characteristics. Mm-hmm. That that compassionate and merciful to generation and generation and generation, <laughs> and then also... The, the vengeance and wrath upon generation after generation for those who don't yeah. seek him. Yeah. Uh, you know, Exodus has been on the mind recently, and the idea that God would say those things about himself, describe himself in that way, and then the very next moment he's coming down on a mountain in fire and smoke to such an extent that the people are terrified to even approach. And that's love. You know, love was to come down in force on that mountain and give the people what they needed um, and, and reveal his holiness to them in a way that was frightening. Um, but in the end, it was, it was what they needed. But it's because, like, he loves you, but don't get it twisted. Like, don't, don't take him for a sucker. Yeah. You know, like, he'll be good to you, but don't think that you can you can run him over or anything like that. Yeah, he's not a pushover, right? Yeah. He's not a... Uh, I, I've described the perception of God, at least that has shown in movies in the last several decades, is he's this kind of Santa Claus figure. He's this, he's this entity that you ask for when you want something, um, but he's not actually going to require anything of you or certainly make you feel uncomfortable anyway. Um, and that's not, that's not the God of the Bible. Um, yeah, we could do a whole class. we could do a whole class on this. Did I miss any any other hands here? Um, yeah. Oh, Gary, give me yours. Hebrews twelve seven. Okay. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as good sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? And it's, a, it's the love of that father that compels him to do such because a thing. Because you don't want them to turn out to be a bad guy. Right. Right. John? Luke, Luke 10, 30 and following, the Good Samaritan. Don't think it uses the word love. talks about uh, mercy and compassion. But to me, those are components of the love he showed, in this case, for an enemy. Right. Because it was based on Jesus' command to love your neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? Let me show you. Let me show you what love looks like. So when we take that definition, it looks very different than what we've been told, and we apply it here. So if the Holy Spirit is telling us through Ephesians to speak the truth in this way, are we doing that? Um, what can we? And this is. This is a rhetorical question. I'm going to talk about this in the invitation tonight. It's a rhetorical question. What what can we do to uh, in our own lives? Um, how can we improve that? 
And, and that may be different for you than, than for me. Um, I can tell you personally, I need to learn a softer approach oftentimes. Um, Have you been accused of lacking tact too? <sighs> almost every day of my life. Oh, man. Um, and it's so easy for that to be attached to uh, pride. It is. It is. Right. Because um, if, if you guys have ever interacted with multiple members of my family <laughs> when we're all together, we are uh, quick-tongued. <laughs> we are very sarcastic with each other, and we do that as a way to kind of, you know, this is how we relate, and we joke, and we've got that, that uh, sense of humor, which is not uh, well appreciated by most of humanity. <laughs> And we do it, and we know that the, you know it's appreciated. I can do that with Jeremy, or I can do that with Darren, and you know, and we can dish it out quickly. Um, that is n- never a good approach. I, I would say rarely a good approach. We do actually see Paul being sarcastic a couple of different times, um, so I wouldn't say that sarcasm is always the wrong approach. Even God Himself uses an approach and asks questions that are very obvious. Um, But it involves, it involves, and that's what the the previous chapters in this book have been about, we we can be allowed to have that hard approach at times only if we've spent previous time building a rapport and a genuine relationship with those people. If my relationship with an with individual is only when I'm coming down on them hard to set them straight, that is, that is not the right approach. But if the majority of our relationship is one of, of genuine concern and care and long-suffering, that occasionally either they need to come to me or I need to come to them and, and tell them something hard, um, it's going to be better received. <laughs> um, does that make sense? So let's, let's go back to chapter 5 in the book. Um, before we do that, do you guys have any more questions about this particular phrase? Yeah. I don't really have a question. I was just um, thinking about the example that Micah gave with the rich young ruler and um, the woman at the well. Yes. He gives. And so Jesus tells both what they need to hear. Mm-hmm. And so but we see the different hearts that have received it or how two, how two different hearts have received it. Yes. And I think sometimes we need to remember that because though we need to learn all of that stuff and approaching people the right way, I guess my thought is always to spend loads of time in prayer so that when you go to somebody, your heart is right and it comes out right. But understanding when, when you want to cry at the end if they get belligerent or don't take it well, that um, that you have done what you should have done in the best right. way that you knew how, right. and understanding that you know it's not always your fault. It's we understand the seed is sown in different kinds of ways. So much good stuff there. Thank you. Um, yes, we should be mindful of what kind of I don't know how many pens I'm going to hold before this class is <laughs> over. Uh, we should be mindful of what kind of approach we take. It's going to be different for different people at times. The truth should be the same with each person, but how that truth is delivered, um, yes, 
you know, investing yourself heavily in prayer before those conversations is imperative. And praying to God to give you the words. But then also, like he said, acknowledging that if the truth is spoken, it is on them to how they respond to it. They, it's not your fault if they don't respond well. Um, you are never going to deliver the truth perfectly to someone. You're, you're just not. Um, you can do your best to deliver it in a way that's better than, uh, you know, the, than another approach. But at the end of the day, it's their decision as to whether they'll respond to the truth or not. Um, and all you can do is uh, acknowledge faults. If, if you recognize them, pray for forgiveness. Uh, ask forgiveness of the individual. Um, but it still does not alleviate their responsibility as to whether they'll respond to it or not. We'll, we'll talk more about that as we talk about the woman at the well. Um, back in Ephesians 4, um, not so much verses 4, 14 through 16, but uh, another question I had asked in the email was, in verses 3 through 6, what are the truths mentioned there? And why is it important for the church to be unified in those things, unified in thought on those things? So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6, it says, Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What are these truths? What does he mean by these? How how would you further elaborate on these things that are mentioned? And why are they important? Well, they're foundational and they are the things... They are, the, they are the facts. They are the truths that bind us together. If, yes. If, if it's something else that makes us in common, uh, we may have a unity about that, but it, it, it's these things that make us common in our being disciples of Christ. Yes. Yeah. There are going to be things that I have in common with you outside of, of these things that I might not have in common with with Tony or with Karen or with but these foundational things we should all have in common. So let's kind of talk through them a little bit. There is one body. What does that mean? When we speak of the church, we should know that it is the church. Right. There's only one. So when he's using that term body, he's talking about the body of Christ, the church, right? So there's one is affiliation a fair concept there? What do you mean? I mean, Christ is one, and, and yet his body, the church, is one. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have this affiliation as a body. Right. We are all unified under the same head. Belong. Right? Yeah. There's one spirit... What's, what's meant by that? Well, if we have the indwelling of the Spirit, it's the same one that permeates all of us, right? It's not a spirit of this world either. Because right. if you've allowed that in, it doesn't jive 
but that one spirit from God. And how, this is not certainly the only way that the spirit has manifested itself in our day, but what's one kind of prevalent way that we think about how the spirit has manifested itself to us? Right there. Right? So the complete revelation that we've been given, is that spirit going to be different for you than it is going to be for me? No. Is the, is the spirit going to come to you at night with a, a different message, a new message, that then is somehow different than the one I've been given? No. Truth does not contradict itself. It does not, nor does it need updating <laughs> or any new new revelation. Now, we are, we are aware of some religious groups that do believe that is still currently happening, and, and chaos reigns when that happens, because who am I to argue? Well, no, you didn't hear a voice in that dream that you had last night. You know, um, We confuse at times, or, or the world confuses at times, our own inner voice with the voice of God, and, and oftentimes that voice gives conflicting information. Did you that spirit will produce the same fruit. That's correct. And so we will have a oneness in our manner of life. Yes. And we are instructed later on in the New Testament to test the spirits, right? So if somebody comes with some kind of message and says, well, this is from God, well, you then compare it to the message already given, and if the thing doesn't match up, then I'm sorry. That's, that's not from God. There's one hope. Simply put, what God has, has, has offered to us in exchange for the grace that he's shown and the obedience that we give to him, the reward isn't different for one group as it is to another. We are all given the same hope, and that hope is eternal life. It's, it's getting to spend eternity with, with God and with Jesus. It's getting to be in his presence and, and all of that entails. And it's not different, like there aren't different levels of it. There aren't you know, hey, if, if I've been a Christian for 60 years, I get better rewards than for those who've only been Christians for 60 days. Right? There's one hope, and it belongs uh, to their call. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Um, again, we could spend a lot more time than we are here quickly. Why is it important for us to acknowledge that there's one Lord? Authority. Authority. We take instructions, we take our marching orders from one Lord. Leader. One leader, one head. You know, a lot of these are really saying the same thing, right? We are getting our authority and our marching orders from one source. And it's not going to be different for different people, different groups. There's one faith. We have faith that because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we can share in a resurrection like his. And that's the faith that we proclaim, that the grave was empty, Right? And that's the, that's the faith that we have that, that God will fulfill his promises in us that we see carried out through Jesus. And we enter that and, and take advantage of those promises and we demonstrate our faith through one baptism, right? That we submit to him and, and obey him in that one baptism. We see that in the book of Acts where Apollos was out preaching the baptism of John. And there was a time where that was uh, appropriate and, and applicable. But when Jesus came, uh, Apollos, you know, Jesus came and, and lived and died. Apollos needed to be corrected and said, well, there, there's actually baptism through Jesus is, is the gospel. Um, and and he, needed to be, he needed to be corrected in that. Updated. Updated, right? Why is it so important for us as the church to be unified in thought on these things? 
when it comes to our our fellowship with each other, when it comes to uh, potential discipline with each other. Why is this so important to agree on these things? I forget where the verse is, but God said that's how people will recognize that we are His. Wherever you go in the world, wherever you meet with Christians, they will all basically be doing worshiping the same way. And that's, that's a sign that it's from God. <coughs> yes, yes. Okay, what else? One of the earlier chapters talked about boundaries and the importance of that. Um, I feel like this is kind of establishing some boundaries. Yes. Why? Why else? These are all. These are all. Well, it's within those boundaries that we maintain relationship with God, with Christ, not just yes. with one another. Yes. Um, God has offered us salvation. But he has put conditions on that salvation. We can't just do whatever we want and 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 get the benefits of of salvation. Um, and it's only by standing firm in these fixed truths, which requires first understanding what is meant by them, that we can maintain true unity and peace and fellowship. Because remember, we're not trying to create unity amongst each other. We're simply trying to maintain the unity that's already been created in the death and the burial and the resurrection of, of Jesus. Um, Paul, this was uh, a heavy part of his gospel message. Um, and you see that playing out in Galatians 3, verses 25 through 29, that it's not race or status or gender or these other things that typically would bring people together. He said none of that actually matters anymore. What matters now is Christ. So there's no slave or free. There's no Jew or Greek. There's no male or female. Because those things are, are not all-encompassing. We can't all be unified. They're superficial. Sometimes those things break. Um, sometimes those things are so shallow, they're, they're not going to last very long. But, but a faith in the one Spirit and the one Lord and, and, and one baptism, one God, those are things that are eternal. Those are things that will outlast any differences. Yes? It says... You know, just above that in verse 3, that maintaining this unity of the Spirit is what maintains the bond of peace. And so yes. if you don't maintain that unity, if you're not really a disciple, if you don't believe these things, and if we have people who are part of us who aren't disciples, then you don't have a bond of peace. Right. And if we collectively as a church recognize the importance of these things, it shouldn't then be as difficult. It will still be difficult, but it shouldn't be as difficult to then approach one another at times and say, I see by your fruit you are not submitting to the one Lord. I can see in your life um, that you are not carrying out the one faith. Um, and we all, if we all understand uh, and acknowledge what those things mean, it shouldn't then be as difficult um, to approach uh, another and, and encourage them and exhort them. On page 60 of the book, what, what is the surest way, he says, to destroy or prevent fellowship? Give you a tip. It's somewhere in the second paragraph. What's that? 
untruthful. And expound on that. What does he mean when, when he talks about being untruthful is the surest way to prevent or destroy fellowship? Why not being totally honest? And uh, I mean, we, we have a tendency to hide ourselves a little bit. maybe imply things that we don't really believe. Right? And so, we don't out and out lie. And he makes a distinction in this chapter, doesn't he? Right. Right? Because sometimes we have a tendency to think, well, I didn't lie to you, so I was being truthful. Sometimes not saying what needs to be said is, is akin to deceit. Right? Um, in fact, he says, um, being untruthful with each other is the surest way to destroy or prevent fellowship. People who will not be real with each other can never enjoy real spiritual unity. And being untruthful is one of the most unchristian things that we can do. According to Colossians 3, 9-10, through 10, being untruthful is part of the old life which should have been done away at conversion. Um, so he makes a distinction in the chapter, and I really appreciate that he did, is sometimes um, we have a tendency to, to portray ourselves as in a, in a way that is not fully genuine and real with each other. It's very tricky, though. I mean, a lot of times when we're coming to services, it's all um, scripted and timed. And so if I past you and you say, hey Gary, how you doing? And, and I just had a totally lousy day and, you know, let my anger get the better of me or whatever, said some things I shouldn't have, did some things I shouldn't have, and I just respond, oh, I'm good. You're right. Because I know studies about to start, you know, you might have had a bad day too, but you don't really want to hear my problems. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a whole litany of things that go through our mind that we don't want to Yes. You know, because then it becomes awkward. Like, oh, well, okay, well, uh, sorry to hear that. I'll keep you in my prayers. <laughs> right. You know, and then you keep moving. Right. You know. But what should we What should we do in, instead? And I'll be the first to admit, I'm not as good at doing this as, as I ought to. But you ask me, maybe, maybe I have been having a rough day and I need some encouragement. Or maybe I've not been acting the way I should. And you ask me, how are you doing? Instead of me responding, fine, I'm good. How could I respond? Well, I'd say first, let's not be asking people how they're doing if we know we're passing ships, you know, in the night. (laughs) It's really, I don't really care how you're doing. This is just some words I'm going to say. But, you know, wait for the the time to ask that kind of important question. Yeah. Do you know people, because there are people in this congregation, they say it differently. When they say, how are you doing? You can tell by the way they say it. You can tell by the, how they've approached you. They are genuinely asking that question. That's why I avoid them. <laughs> there are so many exits out of this building. <laughs> Shouldn't we, though, be asking that question in that way far more often than we do? Right? You guys know Gary Fisher? Gary is super good about that. 
He puts the word spiritually on the end of it. Makes it really How are you awkward. doing spiritually? Yeah. Oh, man. Well, Gary. <laughs> and yet, some of the best conversations I've had with that man are because he asked that question. And they start super uncomfortable. But love sometimes requires that we are uncomfortable with each other. Right? And sometimes hearing the truth is because we are currently not living the truth and we need to hear the hard things. When Jesus spoke with the rich young ruler, do you think that made him squirm a little bit? How are you doing? And maybe we are getting ready to start and the bell's about to ring or whatever, but maybe we can stay instead of fine, we can say, I'd actually love to share with you how I'm doing. I knew a brother down in Texas with that scenario. He would just focus on you and just skip going to study. He'd pull you into a room and say, tell me what's going on. And then he, and then he would follow it up with, let's pray about it. And he would put his hand on your shoulder and, and just do all that right there and just skip the routine of you know, running the class. And he would just pull you right into a room and just do it right there and talk with you. And That's right. What does Jesus say? Yeah, what does Jesus say? We should do if brother has a offering. Leave the offering and go reconcile with your brother, right? Um, sometimes that is that is exactly the right thing to do. Um, this actually goes right in line with the other question that I had asked. Um, in your own words, well, let me let me show you what I'm referring to at the very end of chapter five. That last section, truthfulness versus pretense. Um, the opposite of the kind of truth-telling I have described about is not lying, but pretense. When we aren't truthful with each other, we pretend all is well, even though we know it isn't. And nothing is more damaging to real fellowship than pretense. Pretending I'm okay, even though deep inside I'm hurting and needing help. Pretending there is no sin in my brother or sister's life when it's obvious to all that there is. Pretending that someone's ugly, divisive attitude isn't doing any harm to the body of Christ when in reality it's poisoning the life of the entire congregation. Pretending to be friends with people we really resent because of offenses or misunderstandings we're simply unwilling to address. Where practices such as these exist, real fellowship cannot and to speak of fellowship without truth-telling makes a sham of the entire concept. That, that was a part of this chapter that man, like really hit home to me. How often do we come into the building, or maybe we come into each other's homes, and we still put on this, like, I've got it all together. Because I assume you've got it all together. And I would hate for you to think less of me because Tony's got it all together. And I don't want him to think that I'm just some like weak, deficient Christian here. So I'll put on the face, you know, and I'll keep my chin up. When in reality, what's probably, what's probably going through your mind? I'm thinking the same thing. Ah, Craig seems to have it all together. And man, I would hate for him to think any less of me. And then we perpetuate this this relationship that is only surface level 
So that unfortunately, if the scenario were to, to come about where one of us sees sin in each other's lives, we're hesitant to say anything about it because I haven't developed the kind of... Re- I'm sorry I keep picking on you. You're right here. We haven't developed the kind of relationship where I feel comfortable telling you hard things because all along we've kind of put on this show with each other. Um, so much of that difficult situation could be eased if we would just take the time to really, truly invest in each other. Yeah. We say we want genuine, but it's kind of like, as a young man in the dating scene, and people would say, oh, just be yourself. Well, not that self. The, the, <laughs> nice, the nice, you know, you got it all together kind of self that, that you know, is superficially and everybody likes, but, you know, you can't be that mixed bag of awkward and, you know, sometimes I'm silly and, 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 and awkward times and, like, I just, I, I can't get the words out. And, yeah. like, well, but don't be that. But that's me. That's the whole package, right? Yeah. And we've all been there. We've all been those other things. That's why you're married to the person you're married to because they've seen all of it, right? <laughs> and they're still there. But we say we want it, but then we don't really want it because of all the things, all the mixed baggage that comes with that. And just learning to appreciate, I told Katrina that um, when we first met and we'd gone out on a date, she was really awkward. And she's like, oh, well, thanks, you know. I'm like, no, it was endearing because you were real. You weren't putting on a show. You weren't, you know, trying to, you know, well, I got I to, gotta, you know, look a certain way or I got to act a certain way so not to scare him off and you know like that that was that was encouraging to me yeah that it, it it's disarming when people are that genuine that open yeah. as opposed to I have to have my walls up because you know I don't know how you're going to take this yeah but even if that's the case even if someone is the biggest jerk in the world and they're going to hold it over you. Oh, they opened up, and now I'm going to use this as fuel. Guess what? We should be brave. The Father gives us a spirit of power and without fear. And too often times we're held up by that fear because we think something may occur, and, well, but it won't really happen. They don't really think that. What if they do? Okay. I'm still getting, I still need to do this. Like, we want to say that well, you know, we want to we want to make it not so bad. But even if it is, you know, we need we need to be bold as opposed to cowering in fear, of, afraid to to say things, say terrible things about ourselves, being vulnerable. You can't be vulnerable until you allow yourself to be vulnerable in front of people who have knives out. Yeah. Yeah, Gary. The congregation that we were at down in Texas was a congregation of 400. And it never really dawned on me till one day I was talking with a brother after services, and he said to me, he says, you know, you're, he said, there's a lot of pretense in this congregation. He said, because the congregation that I used to belong to before here, he said, people were coming forward all the time, asking for prayer requests, admitting to weaknesses, struggles, on and on and on. He says, hardly anybody ever gets up and says anything here. Because hmm. no, nobody wants to be seen as weak or or whatever. It just it, it wasn't a common practice at all. It didn't happen. Yeah. 
We we don't gather here because we've got it all together. Oh, that's what the rest of that chapter said. Yeah. We gather here because we need help keeping it together. Yeah. Right? Jesus didn't come to to you know to to heal those who, who had no need of a physician, right? He came to to the sick and to the lost. Um Let's talk about the woman at the well. Let's talk about Jesus coming to this this individual. I want to make sure we we have time for this. So this is John chapter 4. How would you describe Jesus' approach? For the sake of time, we're not going to read through it. I assume we're familiar with it. I hope that you've read it prior to tonight. How would you describe Jesus' approach in, in regards to how did Jesus do this? Speak the truth in love. Sorry, I thought it was actually mild compared to the widow of Zarephath. But well, yeah. Again, he changed his approach sometimes depending on who he was talking to. Sometimes he talked to people because he was actually trying to teach the people around a particular lesson. Um, what was his approach with this particular woman? To start off with, he initiated the, the in- interaction. Okay. He initiated Right? Sometimes he allowed them to initiate, but in this particular instance, he initiated. How did he do it? What, what was his uh, opening approach? Awkwardly asked for a drink. <laughs> Why was it awkward? <laughs> it was more of a come in. <laughs> it did. Yeah, I actually said what question, but he didn't actually ask a question. He, he made a statement here. He made a request. Why was that awkward? She's a woman. Okay. She's a Jew. Yep. She's a Samaritan. In the middle of the day, they're alone. And she wasn't there for him. <laughs> so stack, stack it all up. You talk about being awkward. I don't think it's, it's dishonoring to Jesus to say such a thing. But yeah, he, he opened this, and it was awkward. How do we know that? Because she responds, and she's like, what are you doing? Why, why are you even asking this of me? And she points out one of the reasons why this is awkward. A couple, actually. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. That's not something we do. You know that. And she's a woman. Their culture was different. That was not typical for, for them to do. Jesus was... Sorry. You get that in verse 27 when the disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. Yeah. This was not typical, but he did it anyway. What does his approach then become? So, quite the icebreaker Hope. here. He's open in conversation. Hope. Okay. Before he offers the hope, because that is, that is where he gets to. Well, he talks about living water, you know. He does? You know, I... There's, there's living water available. You're right. Yeah. You're right. He does that right away. Yeah. So he goes right to the spiritual. He does. Isn't that interesting? <coughs> He's able to turn something as mundane as, I need a drink of water, into something spiritual. I'm going to brag on my brother-in-law a little bit. Justin Dobbs uh, traveled with us to Egypt and to Jordan. Um, and I've seen him do this in Boston and other places. But that man has a knack for doing this in a very short period of time. So we were traveling around and it took no time at all for him to be talking to somebody 
about spiritual things. And it's like, we, we've only been here for two minutes? And the rest of us are trying to figure out how to put the camera on the tripod, and he's over here talking about spiritual things. Jesus had a knack for that. It really was quite incredible. She's a little confused at first. She doesn't quite grasp what, what he's offering. Uh, you didn't bring anything to draw water with, and the well is deep. How, how are you going to get this thing? What, what else does he do? He's making her stop and think. Yep, he's, he's, he's talking about broad spiritual things, but he's, he's doing it in such a way so that she stops and thinks, right? This is becoming personal. And she wants to know more. That's, that's always a gift, too, if you're able to speak and ask questions in such a way is to make them want to know more. Mm-hmm. And she wanted she she took the bait. She was hooked. Yeah. So she wanted to know more. Yeah. He brings her sins to light. Aha. And that is important and is is something that, that is key to this interaction. In verse sixteen, he brings her sins to light by asking her to go and call her husband and bring him bring him there. Jesus obviously knows what he's doing here. He's got some insight that we don't, we don't have when we interact with others. She, I would say she's being dishonest. She doesn't out and out lie. It could be that at that moment, she's not currently living with another guy, right? She says, I have no husband. Jesus says, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. I'm sorry, I, I stand corrected. And the one you now have is not your husband. Right? So she does. She's being dishonest. Well, she wasn't married. She wasn't married. <laughs> it, was yep. that, it was that in between. <laughs> right. Uh, are you deceiving or not? Right? Because she wasn't married. Right. Five. She wasn't giving him the whole truth. She was not being genuine and real with and I liked him. I like right? how the author brought, brought that point out. Because I don't know if I necessarily ever saw it like that that you know he helped by helping her to see where she was spiritually and I mean she would think she was at a good place because this was Jacob's well and are you better I mean she kind of went through all that thing to mm-hmm. say to realize I'm not as good as I need help right I need somebody right. to help me what's an approach even before we get to the rest of this what's an approach Jesus could have taken he obviously had this information already about this woman. How could have he approached this conversation? You terrible woman, you've been with a lot of people, you need to get yourself right. And what does the Bible call her situation? Adultery. It's adultery. Five times over. And Jesus could have done this and spoke the truth and hit her between the eyes with it. And he would have been Correct. He would have been accurate in that assessment. You are living in adultery. Do you know what God says about adulterers? And he would have been right, but clearly that's not what would have been good for that woman. She wouldn't have wanted to hear anymore. Oh, she, oh you, you imagine the defenses that would have been put up instantly because I've seen it happen so many times where you hit, the, hit them with the truth. Defenses go up. And you may never be able to get those, those defenses back down. 
But he very unassumingly, was that our second bell? Yep. Boy, <laughs> unassumingly gets her to drop some of those defenses so that he opens this door. And they talk about her spiritual state. They talk about what God expects and is getting ready to reveal with, with worship. So much so that she then not only accepts what's being told, but then wants to go and tell everybody about it and bring more to it. That's speaking the truth in love. Um, and he establishes his authority by explaining to her that he's aware of things that no, I mean, that's what she says. She yes. says, he's told me everything I've ever done. Yes. And, you know, we, we don't personally have that authority, but we know the one who does. Yes. And so when we establish the authority of Jesus, then we have the credibility to continue that conversation. Yeah. That's right. So, for Sunday, let's read chapter 6. I only intend to spend one class period on chapter 6. Um, uh, it says, I am my brother's keeper. Um, I would rename it perhaps, uh, No One is Expendable. Uh, there are no red shirts in the kingdom of God, right? Sorry, nerd level 10. There. <laughs> There, we are not expendable, right? So reading this chapter and, and reading Matthew 18, uh, 15 through 17 for Sunday. Thank you. Just for